Matthew chapter 6, page 970 in the Church Bible. This is a continuation of the greatest sermon ever told, or the series that we're doing on Jesus on the um, mountain there, talking to people. And this is the next thought, really, in that sermon. Fasting, verse 16 of chapter 6. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Just before we turn to God's word, let's pray together. Our good and gracious God, we just pray that you will be with us and open your word to us. We know that your word is infallible truth. Lord, help us to grasp that truth with both hands and rely on it as we would on a life belt if we were drowning. Speak to us tonight, Lord. Have mercy on us and reveal your will to us. For Jesus' sake, amen. I've been absent without leave a bit recently, but it's, it's nice to be back. But I was here a fortnight ago when uh, our good friend Steve Berry was preaching, and he stole my illustration in the middle. He used my passage as an illustration, which we were quite at peace with one another about it. Uh, and then this morning, um, Nathan was covering the same ground again. Uh, and I'm just going to give an illustration that I shared with Steve, because uh, be, these things, they were both talking about money, the widow this morning putting her coins in and um, Steve about, you know, not, not giving your arms and so on before men. Uh, and we're looking tonight at fasting or we will be in a moment. Uh, and again, the thing is, do it secretly, do it quietly. I went to Steve after his message and said, oh, I've got the illustration for you. I wish I'd known what you were going to say. Um, not that many years, when I was here the first time, um, I was invited to a church not too far from here to speak at their gift day. No problem with that. Would I speak on giving? So I spoke on giving. Uh, and then I noticed at the end that, that all the leaders were getting up and vanishing. They all vanished out of the building. Or somewhere they went. Uh, and we sang a hymn. Uh, and then uh, somebody came and said, let's sing another hymn. So we sang another hymn. I thought, it's all getting a bit strange now. And then someone came up with a big list and read in order of generosity all the gifts you know so billy brown from his own pocket money has given us two pound well done billy thank you billy mr and it went through the whole lot like this and i was standing there thinking dear lord please open up the floor so that i can vanish into it i really don't want to be part of this uh, and what better example of how not to do it so if i was to say tonight hands up those of you that fast frequently don't do it don't do it um, because part of the the purpose is uh, that that we do these things whether it's praying whether it's giving uh, whether it's 
fasting, that we do these things secretly because we're doing them to the Lord and to no one else. Um, I'm going to have to make a little bit of a disclaimer. I want to start with a, a definition, really, of what fasting is so that we know what we're talking about. I think it was Les Dawson that used to say, wasn't it, he played all the notes but not necessarily in the right order. Um, well, this is a quotation from John Stott, and all the words are John Stott's, but I've taken liberties with the order because it makes more sense this way. John Stott says, Strictly speaking, it, that is fasting, is a total abstention from food for a day. Hence, of course, the naming of each day's first meal as break fast, since at it we break our fast. The night period during which we ate nothing, it can be legitimately extended, however, to mean going without food partially or totally for shorter or longer periods. That's a reasonable enough definition, isn't it? The, the key to the thing is, is what we're doing, isn't it? During COVID, I, I realized I was putting on far too much weight. Um, so I decided that I needed to do something about it. So I decided to just cut out lunch, um, cut myself down from three meals a day to two meals a day uh, and no little snacks in between. That wasn't fasting. That was dieting. And, and even if the, the time, the 30 or 40 minutes or something that I'd spent uh, that I'd saved, I did spend in, in Bible study or prayer or something, that wouldn't have turned it into fasting. It would still have been dieting. Uh, and the reason was to do with, with motivation. My purpose was to lose weight. Uh, and the fact that that might give me a little bit longer um, in, in more spiritual activities would have been a byproduct, a welcome one, but it wouldn't have been fasting. Very often, people fasted as a sign of repentance. There's an interesting historical account of this um, from Abraham Lincoln's proclamation of a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer in 1863 towards the end of his life and towards the, the end of the Civil War. And this is what he said. Whereas the Senate of the United States devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And this was the, this was the thing. We have been recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied, enriched, and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own, intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Could you imagine a session of the commons and lords framing such a document for King Charles to read out at the state opening of Parliament? If you can, you have a richer imagination than I've got. You just wouldn't see it happening, would you? 
it, it was often people fasted to seek the favor of God. That was a case of seeking the pardon of God, seeking the favor of God, 2 Chronicles 23. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Our text, interestingly, begins with the words, when you fast. And it would seem to me that there's no real way of understanding um, that, other than that Jesus kind of assumed that fasting would be part of the ongoing life discipline of the church, when you fast. In Matthew 9, 14 to, 14 to 15, we read, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Uh, again, it seems to be a, a confident um, statement on behalf of the Lord Jesus. But it's all set, isn't it, in a new context, which was um, just about verbatim Steve's opening verse the other week. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, yes, all these things have gone on in the past. They're, they're, they're frequently there in the Old Testament, but there's going to be something about the way in which you, my people, give, pray, fast, that will set you aside, something that will be completely different. Jesus, we know himself, fasted often. Uh, Matthew 5.20, I tell you, um, sorry, um, he fasted, uh, we know that, this 40-day fast and so on. So did the early church. Um, Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Th this was a, a, a mega thing that was happening. Uh, and they were searching for the face of, face of God. They wanted to know what's the direction, what should we be doing? Uh, and it was as they were fasting and praying and worshiping that the Lord spoke into their midst uh, and the, the command was to send Barnabas and Saul the first missionary journey, the first really conscious outreach of the church into the Gentile world, which would change the face of the world forever. What's the purpose of fasting? Uh, one commentator that I looked at um, offered five things. One, the value of self-discipline. It teaches us self-discipline. Uh, most of us like our food. Uh, and so to consciously deny yourself something that you like, that's good, that's self-discipline. It's a release from the habit from the slavery of the habit. Eating can be a habit, can't it? We can eat when we're not hungry. We can just eat because it's eating time. Uh, and some people are very prone to that. It, it can be, thirdly, the, the preservation of the ability to do without things. Uh, sometimes the Lord wants us to do without things, doesn't he? It can be a whole range of different things, things that are not wrong in themselves, but, but things that it would be good for us to abstain from for a season. Fourthly, it can have positive health values. Fifthly, he said, an enhancement of our appreciation of things. 
if you decided, I don't, I don't know what your, um, oh, I just talked to Steve, shall I? Chocolate, Steve. Um, we had a good, good confession the other day of chocolate. Um, if, if Steve was now to say, right, from now until this time next year, I will not touch chocolate. I, I would reckon that as you get, maybe if it was me anyway, as you got to sort of September, you'd be thinking, ooh, chocolate day is coming soon. As you got to October, you'd be thinking, oh, only, only 20 odd more days and it's chocolate day. And, and you'd appreciate chocolate perhaps more than you'd ever done before because you'd lost it for a while. I, I would want to add a, a sixth. It can teach us to seek comfort in God alone. Because we, we all know how human nature can turn to things to meet our inner needs. Um, people talk about binge eating. People talk, um, it's, it's not uncommon, is it, for somebody who's sinking under a, a, a kind of tide of debt to go on a spending spree. Uh, they, they almost reason with themselves, oh, I, I'm in a terrible position, I can't get any worse, I'll max out the credit cards. Our comfort should always be found in God, shouldn't it? Not in other things. Uh, and fasting can be a means of helping us to do that. Historically, um, it's been a, a feature of the, the Reformation down through the years. Calvin, in his famous Institute, says this, whenever, in short, any matter of difficulty and great importance is under consideration, on the other hand, when manifestations of the divine anger appear, such as pestilence, war, and famine, the sacred and salutary custom of all ages has been for pastors to exhort the people to public fasting and extraordinary prayer. He's saying this is, this is just the way we live. When there are real difficulties, we pray. And when we really want to kind of pray in bold underlined, we fast and we pray. The two things are often linked together. Um, interestingly, I'm sure you, you're aware of this, the book of Esther never says anything about prayer. Two things the book of Esther doesn't speak about. One is God, and the other is prayer. But the hand of God is all over the book, uh, and the evidence is of prayer there. And you do read, go gather the Jews to be found in Susa. This is Esther, and she says, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Uh, and all sorts of reasons are, are given for the possibility, but the, the subtext there is fast and pray. But for various reasons, it was wise not to speak uh, of praying. Daniel is, is much more explicit, Daniel 9.3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I don't know whether you've ever thought about it, but all actions are either validated or negated by motive. One of the benefits of retirement is that I've watched a bit more of the world rugby than I would have been able to watch if I was still uh, working full-time. Uh, and they've got this thing now, haven't they? The Timo where something looks, and they say, oh, it's a try, and, and everybody cheers, and it goes up on the little board, and then the referee goes, 
and everybody goes, uh-oh, they're checking something, and the little voice comes from the Timo uh, man hidden away safely in his little bunker, and he says, foul from green, you know, on, on blue 11 or whatever it happened to be, and, and they check it, and they say, yes, knock forward, it's a foul, or whatever it was, try denied, and all the fans go, boo, but it's a means of authenticating what really happened so that the, the judgment is, is a fair one. Now, no human system is perfect, is it? But God is always, well, he doesn't need a T-mo, does he? Because he's not like a ref with some linesmen and so on around the place. He knows exactly what's going on. Uh, and, and let me just read a few verses from... 1 Corinthians 13. If I can find them. I've lost the verses I'm looking for. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those are amazing things, aren't they? Paul is saying you can even be or appear to be a martyr. And actually, you have done nothing in terms of seeking the glory of God. What you've done in giving away your money or in doing whatever you've done, even allowing yourself to be martyred, what you've done is to seek glorification for yourself. Uh, and the, the message of, of this part of the Sermon in the Mount is, if that's what you want, that's what you've got, don't look for anything more. If what you do, you do for the praise of men, then when you get the praise of men, go away satisfied because you ain't getting anything else. God isn't going to add his praise. The motive either validates what you've done. Yeah, that person would not compromise uh, and would not deny their Lord, and so they were tied to the stake and they were burnt. Validation. Someone else is giving all their money, or maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, pretending to give all their money or all their proceeds of one sale, but didn't do it. Negated. The motive was wrong. And so it wasn't service to God. It wasn't prayer. It wasn't real almsgiving. It wasn't real fasting. Calvin observed this. Let me say something on fasting. Because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity. And some reject it altogether as superfluous. Well, on the other hand, were the use, where the use of it is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition and that superstition can be can't it because as Dathan was saying this morning if we pray long prayers you know I know so many scripture verses that I can stand here from now until 10 o'clock just praying and praying and God says well, what's the point of that that's just that's just endless words piled on top of each other um, if you come, and as we'll, we'll see in our thing, you, you kind of put ash on your face and you come in, you know, and you say, are you okay? Oh, yes. It's just I fasted for so long this week that now I'm feeling a little weak. Forget it. 
it, 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 it's, it's not worth anything, is it? Did you do such and such? such? No, no, I was having a day of prayer. You know, this is, this is what Nathan was talking about this morning, this, this self-grandiosement that was so popular amongst the Pharisees and others. And Jesus says, not among you. One thing that I found very interesting as I was preparing this was that very often the word fasting, the same word is translated elsewhere um, as afflict. So in the, um, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, um, it's often translated as, as fasting, uh, whereas in, in, the, in the Greek Old Testament, um, what am I saying there? In the, in the New Testament, it's translated as fasting. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's translated as afflict. Let me give you an example. Leviticus 23. Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation. You shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. You shall not do any work for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cast off from his people. And whoever does not work on that very day, and whoever does work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever through all generations. All your dwelling places, it shall be for you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict yourselves. And on the basis of those verses, the Jews said that the Day of Atonement was a day for fasting because they could see that it was one way of afflicting their bodies. Now, maybe we would think of affliction in, in a stronger kind of way than that. But true fasting is something that's done. It's not just missing food. It's a seeking of the face of God. Those of you that like church history will like this next little bit. Those of you that don't, try and stay awake. It's interesting, I think. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of John of Antioch. Um, he's better known by his nickname, John Chrysostom, which means, I don't know whether any of the preachers here have ever been nicknamed this, John the Golden-Mouthed, because he was so eloquent uh, and his speaking was, was so wonderful. But he's, he's got a fascinating history apart from anything else, um, a little bit of which is, is worth sharing. In, in 397, um, he was appointed as bishop of the church in Constantinople. Now, for bishop there, don't think kind of bishop today. Think pastor, because that's really what it amounted. He was pastor. He thought that the office was too exalted for him, uh, and so he politely declined. The citizenship of Constantinople wished to press their call to this man, so they sent soldiers to kidnap him and bring him to Constantinople. So he came to Constantinople uh, and said, well, if you desire me so much to be your pastor, I will be your pastor. Everybody was happy for a while and then not so happy. He was unpopular with the clergy he was unpopular with the rich because he had a habit of openly denouncing their sins in public. Uh, and there is, he particularly made an enemy of Empress Eudoxia um, and the whole of the rest of the royal court. If you wonder why, let me tell you. There is a, a picture of him 
pointing at the royal box. There was a royal box in the church there, and he's pointing at the royal box. His finger is like that, and sitting in the box with a face like thunder is the empress, and around her are all the courtiers. Uh, and this, this was his sermon on that day. He said, Here it were well to sigh aloud and to wail bitterly, for not only do we imitate the hypocrites, but we've even surpassed them. For I know, yea, I know many not merely fasting and making a display of it, but neglecting to fast, and yet wearing the masks of them that fast, and cloaking themselves with an excuse worse than their sin. Wilt thou not leave off becoming worse than the very hypocrites, and making thine hypocrisy double? And when thou considerest the great excess of this evil, will thou not be abashed at the force of the expression now and before us? And he's talking straight to the empress. That's courage, isn't it? End result, he's banished and taken away from Constantinople. Consequence? The population of Constantinople riot in the streets. Bring back our pastor, bring back our pastor. Um, it, it's so familiar in church life today, isn't it? Um, okay, maybe not. Um, but he, he, he does, they bring him back, and what does he do? He starts off again, denouncing, uh, and this time um, the empress banished him to the farthest parts of the empire, and he actually died on the journey from privation. But here was a man of courage. But you can see what he was picking on. He was picking on the fact that these people pretended to be something that they weren't. He calls them worse than the hypocrites because not only do they show people that they're fasting, but they pretend to be fasting and show people as if they were. Uh, and that's his uh, condemnation of them. I put this in. The essential question is not are you wearing to church, Nathan, but why are you wearing what you're wearing? I think we heard about that this morning, so I'll pass on. Don Carson says this, Tragically, we do similar things today. At one time, people wore nice clothes on a Sunday as a sign of respect and reverence before the Lord. It was not long before the quality of the clothes became more important than the reverence. And pretty soon, people were competing to look better than their neighbors. Small wonder many youths finally rejected every trace of this clothes contest and started wearing blue jeans to church. Many of them may have done so for unworthy method, motives, but their parents' motives for dressing up were equally unworthy. Uh, he, he's just making the simple point. It's why you're doing what you're doing that matters. There's a, a, an early church document called the Didache, the Teaching. Uh, and it, it's classic. Um, it says this, fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Don't be like the hypocrites who fast on Mondays and Thursdays. You know, let's get our priorities right. Which day are we going to fast on? They had no idea what they were doing. Lloyd-Jones says this, ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. It's quite a penetrating thought, isn't it? If we're anxious for the approval of other people, it's because we want to feel good 
about ourselves rather than wanting to please God. John Stott again, the purpose of fasting is not to advertise ourselves, but to discipline ourselves, not to gain a reputation for ourselves, but to express our humility before God and our concern for others in need. If these purposes are fulfilled, that will be reward enough. Way back in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to pick sentences out of this because it's it's you keep us here too long to to read uh, but th there's a, a wonderful passage in isaiah 58 uh, and i really would encourage you to read it um, as part of our thinking about fasting isaiah 58 the people say to god why have we fasted and you see it not why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it Behold, in the day of your fast, says God, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. It's, this is not the fast that I choose. Is it not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? to take away the yoke from in the midst and the pointing finger of speaking wickedness. Turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. Take delight in the Lord. This is Isaiah's condemnation and, and application to these people. He says, look, your, your, your assemblies bring no joy to God. And it's interesting, there are five things that he, well, five things and then a summary. He talks about social justice, breaking the bonds of the wicked. He talks about sharing with other people hospitality. He talks about taking away the, from the midst the pointing finger uh, and speaking wickedness, guarding our tongues, personal holiness. He talks about our use of the Lord's day. Um, he talks about the fact that we should not be selfish. And he sums it all up admirably by saying, take Delight in the Lord your God. John Legg, many of you will remember, um, in his commentary on Matthew, said this, the true practice of righteousness is a response to the fatherhood of God. If we remember that he is our heavenly father, we shall be concerned to please only him. We shall look for his reward, not man's good opinion. We shall pray as, we, as he would have us pray. This means being eager to promote his honor and glory, his kingdom and his sovereign will. It means depending on his loving and wise care and seeking his forgiveness above all things so that our fellowship with him may continue without shadow. His grace and strength will be our support under trial and our defense against Satan. So let us take care to understand and remember that by grace, through faith, we are children of our Heavenly Father. Let this fact rule every part of our life and service. For this, this is the righteousness that far exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. See, in so many different aspects, Jesus is applying the same simple truth. Uh, and I think you can almost sum it up in this way, can't you? Why are you doing is more important than what 
are you doing? I'm not suggesting that what you do doesn't matter. Of course it does. But if what you're doing is good, what matters is why are you doing it? Because a good thing in terms of service and worship for God can simply be made a neutral thing if it isn't done for the right motive. The best way to ensure right motives in all of these things is to do it as much as we can out of the eye of other people. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that come Tuesday and we have a prayer meeting or a week Tuesday we have a prayer meeting uh, and Nathan says to us, right, let's have a time of prayer. And we go, no, I can't pray because I don't pray in public because that would be showing off. And No, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. What, what he's talking about is, is making a show of things pretending to be something that we're not and when you think about it it's the most stupid thing in the world we can do isn't it we, we say this to to, to non-christians we say look don't pretend to god that you're something that you're not because god knows exactly who you are come to him as you are seek his forgiveness and the same is true for us as his redeemed people God knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. Uh, and it is a sad and a poor substitute for us to turn our eyes away from looking for the approval of God and start looking for the approval of men. That shows that there's something fundamentally wrong with our hearts and with our lives. Uh, and so the, the channel comes again, doesn't it? Does our righteousness exceed that of the pharisees and the teachers of the law does it when we pray does it when we give does it if and when we fast let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for your mercy and your grace uh, we thank you that you you do take such weak and foolish people as us and you do use us that that we can pray uh, and we can know your blessing deliver us we pray not only from the fear of man, but deliver us from the desire for the approval of man. Make us those who only want to be approved by you, the only one whose approval ultimately and eternally matters. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.